Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant afternoon to everybody listening to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr, along with our special guest host today, Ms. Christina Delano, and she's one of our people that works with us uh, during the day at the Toro Company, and we're very appreciative to have her. Her expertise is in materials and other things, but what she's really, really good at and what she wants to do someday is be a sportscaster, because this lady knows <laughs> everything about sports. She can tell you stats on football, basketball, baseball, and she's usually right. So I just want to introduce everybody to it. Christine, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. How's things out in Southern California? It is a beautiful Southern California day. Um, high 80s and just nice nice around. That's that's good to hear. You know, we, since since COVID started, we all started broadcasting, as as most of our listeners know, remotely. So we're doing it from uh, three three different places. And the next person is up in a little bit more towards Central California, and she is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, and she is the awesome Chris Austin. Chris, welcome. Hey, how you doing, everybody? We're good. How how is uh, how's the weather where you are? Oh, up here in Chico, it's a warm day. I think it's in the mid-90s, um, but very nice. little breeze going, um, but yeah, a nice warm day. I guess it's going to get a little bit cooler for us again uh, starting tomorrow, I think I, was what I was reading. We've been having these uh, little storms come through and uh, kind of bring some rain, not a lot. Uh, you know, enough to dirty your car down in the valley. But a few weekends ago when I was coming over the pass across the Sierra Nevada, it was raining buckets, um, which puts a little bit of water into the reservoirs, not a lot, but perhaps more importantly, it just dampens down the, the landscape and sort of helps to temp, you know, temper the wildfire risk a little bit more um so we all but we welcome all the rain that comes so and there's some more coming so absolutely so for our listeners there christina just jump in when you want to ask uh, some questions whatever but i can tell you there's a it's busy in the water news today uh Mm -hmm. you're about cut cutbacks from colorado river and a second water conservation emergency regulation so chris tell us a little about what's happening with those things well, I guess the big news this week, although um, big but not surprising news, is the Colorado River is really in bad shape. And the the problem that we've been having with a lot of this extreme drought stuff that's going on is, you know, when the agencies have, you know, they have all these models for things and that they and they develop these models over decades. And the general idea of a model is, you know, it's going to tell you, uh, give, give you some insights into what's going on. And they're what we call bookended. So, you know, they have what they think the the maximum conditions that they would expect to encounter, uh, you know, this much, this low precipitation with this temperature and, you know, the highest amount. They have like a high end and a low end. 
And the problem that we're running into is that the drought conditions that we're experiencing are beyond those bookends. So, you know, they they just never anticipated uh, here in California that things would get as dry as they get. And the same thing appears to be going on in the Colorado River. So a lot of the projections that they keep making uh, just kind of keep coming up worse and worse. So uh, there was a hearing in Washington at the beginning of the week, uh, and the the commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation testified, and she said that about two to four million people are going to have to figure out how to act uh, for everyone who's using the Colorado River. And, uh, you know, two million acre feet is a lot of water. Um, just And that's the low end. Uh, California's allocation on the Colorado River, which includes the Imperial Valley and Southern California, is 4.4 million acre feet. So, you know, half of that to potentially all of that uh, is how much the whole river is going to have to cut back. Uh, That's a substantial amount of water. So we'll see, you know, what comes of it. Uh, they're going to be negotiating, uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's going to be some tough negotiations. But the one thing about the Colorado River is they have come together before to kind of figure out how to get through these things. So uh, they have a good track record of collaboration uh, overall, so we'll see how it goes. But then there was this other article in the paper, in the Daily Digest today, perhaps you saw it, um, about five water barons, I think is what they called them, that that are really going to affect the Colorado River. Uh, Did you see that one? Yes, I did. Yeah, the, the five water barons that they're talking about are the five directors um, on the board at the Imperial Irrigation District. And of the 4.4 million acre feet on the Colorado River that is allotted to California, uh, 3.3 million acre feet of that goes into the Imperial Valley and is managed by the Imperial Irrigation District. Um, Several years ago, when things started to get dry on the Colorado River, uh, there was a whole process that went through to have California limit the amount that they drew from the Colorado River. And this was called the QSA or the Quantification Settlement Agreement. And in that agreement, it was a, there was a whole lot of things that went into that set of agreements. But one of them is that the Imperial Irrigation District gave up some water to San Diego. This was water that uh, you know, there's the thing that they did a lot down there uh, in the Imperial Valley. Metropolitan has done this too, where they pay for improvements that, that that conserve water in exchange for having that amount of water conserved uh, given to them. So 
San Diego paid like for lining of irrigation canals in the Imperial Valley because it was still a lot in dirt. And and for that, uh, they they got I think 200,000 acre feet of water per year. Um, and there were other things that went into it, including less water going into the Salton Sea, which is uh, causing a lot of problems with the Salton Sea, which is a whole another topic altogether. But out of that, uh, Imperial Irrigation District and the farmers there felt that they they lost water, that they gave away water, and they they swore at that time that they would never let any more water go. And we're getting into a situation where uh, you know they're gonna they're going to be approached again. Uh, the Imperial Irrigation District allocation of water on the Colorado River, 3.3 million acre feet, is equal to about one fifth of the river's flow historically. You know, kind of based based on the Colorado River's flow flow a few decades ago, not the current flow that it's on. So a, a lion's share of that water in the Colorado River is going into the Imperial Valley. And they have the oldest rights on the river. They Well, they're third in line on the entire Colorado River. The two entities that are in front of them are small irrigation districts in like Bard, around Bard and Yuma, um, but their amount is very small. And then there's the Imperial Irrigation District with their, you know, one-fifth of the flow of the Colorado River. And they have, you know, old-time water rights means that they get everything, um, su supposedly, if we follow the rights of priority, that they will get their entire allocation before anybody else, any other state, uh, any other city, so that means Las Vegas, Arizona, Utah. Uh, theoretically, if the Colorado River were to dwindle down to 3.3 million acre feet, everyone would have to let that water go by to go into the Imperial Valley. And I think this is where we're really going to start to see um, some pressure on these water rights. Uh, and and a lot of pressure on those directors and the Imperial Irrigation District to do something. So I think, uh, and and they haven't been too willing in in some of these more recent uh, drought negotiations. They they sat out on some of them. So uh, it's really quite. Uh, it's going to be really something to see. I think uh, some water. Water wars in the Imperial Valley, I think, um, is in the future. I, I wonder. We'll if, uh, I wonder. I wonder if the government will do the imminent domain thing. But let me let me ask Christina a, a letter because I know she's she she her family has a boat and she's a water enthusiast and she was up at the river a while not too long ago. Christina, how did wh where what portion did you go to and was it how did it look? We went to Lake Mojave, which is outside of Laughlin in Bullhead City. Oh. And um, the lake was actually pretty high, so I we were kind of shocked at that. Um, you know, a lot of the beach area or you know the coves that we would go into were smaller than normal because of the um, the high water level. And I know Lake it 
Lake Mead feeds into Lake Mojave. And I was shocked to, to see how high it was for us based on hearing all the stories that, um, and seeing how low it was in Lake Mead. Now, I know that's kind of like the starting point, and then it keeps dwindling down, dwindling down. But, um, well, yeah, the one thing, the, the one feature that you, you can't miss when you're in Laughlin is Davis Dam. Uh, yeah, and that's where uh, Lake Mojave is. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it backs up, Lake Mojave backs up behind it. And then you have the dam, which is like the largest thing in town. And, at that, and you have the river that flows through, uh, it, it, it flows through Laughlin. We went up there, we stayed, uh, I don't know, about five years ago. And the funniest thing happens in Laughlin, I don't know if you've noticed this, Christina, but like, if you go out, to the docks in the daytime they all they're all touching the water people are out there on their water you know their jet skis or whatever and they're all going around but uh but there's a curfew <laughs> because at night when when all those everyone turns off their air conditioners then davis dam stops producing power stops releasing power and the the level in the river dwindles way way down you get up in the morning, and those docks are not touching the water. Uh, yeah, there's a the part where it's almost you can walk across. Yeah, that, and it, and you have your boat in there. Your boat's just sitting on the mud. But then, you know, everyone turns on their air conditioner, and that level of the river is going to go up and float your boat, and everyone goes out. But it's like it, it's literally like an on and off switch for the river in that part of it. It's It's kind of amazing. So yeah, sometimes uh, our water levels in the reservoirs are are there for different purposes, you know. Um, like there's a there is a, uh, a reservoir up above Los Angeles, uh, the Pyramid Lake Reservoir, and it's uh, I think it's it's not very big. Um, I think like 1.5 million acre feet, maybe I'm just guessing here, and but that one is always kept. And the reason why they keep that one full is because uh, they have a pipeline that runs from Pyramid Lake down to Castaic Lake, and they have what's called a pumped hydro project there that operates for the Department of Water Power in L.A. So when everyone turns on their air conditioner, you know, that's the, that's the benefit of hydropower is that uh, it's instant electricity. You can't get instant electricity if you have to fire up turbines, but you can flip a switch, run water through a, a turbine in a dam, and have instant electricity. So, um, you know, hydroelectric power is, is important. And what they do in these pumped hydro projects is in the daytime, when everyone turns on their uh, air conditioners, the, the water goes down. Um, through the power plant into Castaic Lake, actually into a forebay. They have it sort of, uh, uh, you know, marked off uh, so that it doesn't affect the level in Castaic Lake. Um, and so they pump it down. They let it run down in the daytime for the power. And then at night when the power comes back uh, and the power prices are low, they pump it all back up again into Pyramid Lake so they're ready for the next day. Uh, there's a lot of 
power plants that operate on this principle of, you know, sending power back up. Uh, it's you, you use way more power to send it back up than it does, you know, than obviously, than when you send it down and the power that you generate from that. But the, it's an economic thing. If you're, you know, it, it actually works when you use, when you pump it uphill when power, uh, power rates are low. Uh, but well, we gotta deal with that. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. You know, we we we're so used to electricity, and we have all these ways of electricity. But with the exception of PV panels, solar panels on your roof, they all basically go back to a little wire spinning around in a magnetic field. Um, you know, that's the whole premise of, of uh, making electricity. And with the exception of, of solar panels, everything is still goes down to that. So, Well, there's, uh, I, I can't pronounce the name of the city. I, I've never been there. Is it Sanger? Or is it San, I think it's Sanger. Sanger, yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're concerned with having extremely low or no water pressure at all. And I guess they're blaming that on uh, on hot weather and everything else. Yeah, and they had some wells, I think that that went out of uh, went out of commission. So I think they're working on that. Uh, what's actually interesting is in the 2014 to 2015 drought, uh, you remember uh, Porterville was the big discussion, and you know how domestic wells were going dry uh, all over the place. And while I am sure that domestic wells are going dry now. Um, I think that there are a lot of programs in place that are helping those people out. So they're not just, you know, pumping sand and no no helps on the way. I think we have learned from our last drought. Uh, you know, we also haven't seen the, the stories, you know, one gallon of water per almond. Uh, no one's been hating on the crop. Uh, so I, this is, you know, new dialogue. So it's refreshing, actually. That's yeah. good. I was going to ask that question about uh, about the crops and the almonds. You know, it's one of the things you you enjoy when you're driving up the five and to see all that. So that's good to hear. I like my almonds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I excuse me. I, I think we're still going to see lots of uh, rising water pricing coming down the road. Oh, rising uh, everything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. And, know, and we're not done yet, you know. Well, I was I was talking I was talking to a company the other day. Uh, they're a a, a a a beer distillery company or beer maker, and they they use exclusively recycled water. And you know, I always I always thought the recycled water or, or even the uh, uh, you know water that uh, they send out from uh, you know, from recycling in your house and things like that that the city send up. I gotta believe that that's gonna get scarce too, and they're gonna they're they're gonna start raising the prices for that as well. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, and more and more people are interested in keeping their wastewater and keeping their recycled water for you know for their uses in their places. Uh, you know, this is a big a big challenge for Orange County is that. Uh, they're used to uh, these water agencies releasing their 
treated wastewater into the Santa Ana River, and it would flow down, and, and then they'd capture it in Orange County at the bottom uh, and put it into groundwater basins, recharge basins. But now, you know, those upstream areas with all the drought problems are saying, you know, we we'll think we're going to keep our recycled water here for us. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it makes some challenges. But again, uh, you know, the people in San Bernardino and Orange County, they, they are talking, they they have collaborated in the past, so they kind of know how to work together there too. And that's really the key to get through these dry times. You know, people are, need to work with each other to help everyone get through. Well, you've, you've always said that about everything that happens in, in, in the politics of, of water. People really need to sit down and plan, otherwise there's going to be real fights about water. I mean, I can't see uh, somebody, you know, Imperial Irrigation saying to everybody else, well, you can't have any more water, and that's going to cause, you know, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be lawsuits up up and down. And uh, But you're right. You know, you always said you you got to sit down and be normal and come up with the, the right stuff. Hey, I did see I did see you were talking about in your in your uh, uh, newsletter about a Irvine company, a startup that came out with a, what they call a smart faucet that a lot of water districts are looking at. Do you know Do you know much about that? Um, I don't know a bunch except that um, you know I I saw it in there. It's a picture and it has the button, so it's just more efficient. Uh, I think. And uh, also, I think it has a way to deliver hot water faster. Uh, I'm not entire. I don't remember. That. that seems like it was a lifetime ago. But I know it's one. I know they put out one gallon per per uh, per minute. And yeah, they do have a. They have the thing that you can set. From what I read, that you can set up the temperature ahead of time, and and then it shuts it off. And so I I think that's a great idea. Uh, I, I don't know how many water agencies are backing that, or if that this, if it's such a hot product or will be. Uh, I'm sure some of the big guys like Kohler or or the others will jump right in and buy it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've been in places where that automatic uh, faucet comes on and it's still going when I'm done using it, and there's no way to just turn it off and say, "Okay, I'm done. Thanks." You know, it just kind of <laughs> That's a pet peeve of mine. That is a pet peeve of mine, that 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 automatic faucet just keeps going. Yeah. Although I have to say, I I seem to have invisible hands because a lot of times I'm waving my hands at those sensors and there's no water coming on. (laughs) That's the other problem I have. Yeah. Maybe you need bigger hands. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. I, my, wife, my wife my wife wants one of those things, and uh, I said, she says, she's going to get good at it. She says, you're going to put it in? I go, no, because when you get to be my age, you do you do what I call HID. That's higher it done. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I want to do that stuff. I do not I'm, not. I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not mechanical. Electronics, I can do all day long blindfolded. Electricity, no problem. I don't even turn the breakers off when I rewire stuff in the house. It's That's simple for me, but don't don't get me stuck on the on the plumbing or any of that stuff. It's not my, uh, not my bailiwick. So, well, Chris, it's uh, getting to be our commercial time. And uh, I wanted to thank you for 
giving us the latest and greatest in what's happening in California. And for all our listeners, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com. Become a subscriber. Become a sponsor. It's the greatest place to get your your water news every single day. It's up to the date, so it's uh, it's an awesome thing to to get. So we uh, we appreciate that. So Chris, we'll, you'll be with us again next week, and we appreciate you. Stay cool, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care, everybody. You too. All right. We're going to take a little brief break, and we'll be back with our featured guest. So stick around for the second half of the Water Zone. We'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. Eco-Series products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about eco-solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. They love you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project, so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock, because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aw. K-C- a. 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 All right, so welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Miss Christine Delena, who's our guest uh, host today, and we appreciate her joining us. And uh, just so our audience knows, she works with us at the Toro Company, and she is the most wonderful person and helpful person at the company and I appreciate her every single day for all the stuff that she does. And she's she's not a new bio tutorial. Christina, how long have you been there? I have been there for almost twenty six years. 
And thank wow. you very much for that nice comment. And now it's well, on radio, so I can always send that to my boss and say I'm not Absolutely. I'll write, I'll, write you, <laughs> I'll, write, I'll write you something, too, if you need. Well, our, our guest here has been on the show before, and um, his name is Ed Matthew. He has a career. Just let me give you a little background. Chris, Christine, and I will do that. Um, Ed has a career as a landscape industry entrepreneur and pioneer. He's been in 30 years of history and business in the Rocky Mountain region, profoundly engaged in promoting water efficiency and conservation practices. Ed was an early member of the Utah Water Conservation Forum and was instrumental in starting the Utah Irrigation Association. And uh, Ed's involvement in regional water issues in the green industry provided him an opportunity to create and as well as help advance new concepts and procedures, uh, improving efficiencies or landscapes and management practices. Uh, back in the early 2000s, Ed had participated with various outreach groups, working with unique uh, and multiple water agencies and the EPA known as SWAT, and uh, to navigate the introduction of new landscape water use guidelines and requirements for the landscape industries with uh, uh, irrigation, smart irrigation controllers and such. Recently selling his successful sales and marketing agency, Ed's taken on a part partly retired role and assisted in the formation of Overland Distributing Company with a focus on identification, distribution, and implementation of smart water technologies, technologies that truly impact our water use markets and through the next generation of products that continue to raise the bar with efficiency and conservation within our industry. So we'd like to welcome Ed to the show again. Ed, how are you doing, buddy? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me back. You're very well. You're welcome. Um, I know for some of the some of the listeners may not have uh, been around or listened to the, or remember the show if it was a while back. Uh, so what I thought we'd do is give you a couple uh, rapidly asked questions and get rapidly answers, and then we'll bring then we'll bring our audience up to date on all the new stuff that's been going on. So how did uh, Overland become engaged with magnetically influenced water technology? And you can explain what that is. <laughs> Well, back uh, um, when I had my business, uh, you know, we were out here in the Rockies, and and water quality was a big issue, different than what you might see in parts of California, especially southern. But when we're up here with the canals, the rivers, the lakes, the streams, the ponds, our water quality was a little bit different. So if we're working with a pump or a filter out this way, the water quality really affects it, and in most cases, it was damaging. And one of the big problems we would have, like out in Wyoming, is we would suffer from uh, calcification, right? So we get a lot of mineral buildup on our system. So we started to look for solutions, and we looked at a lot of different things. And being green-natured, um, I wanted to stay a little bit away from uh, the fertilizers or chemical you know, additives that we could do to inject. And um, we started to look around at some of the more natural uh, processes and opportunities, and we came across uh, this magnetic technology uh, that we're using now in, in various products. Uh, what is sorry. your... Go, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I had to press the sneeze button because I was ready to blow my nose. <laughs> so, so go ahead. I was just going to ask what has been your experience with the MIW and similar technologies, but I think you kind of answered some of that. But what about similar technologies? Well, you know, the, the similar being, um, you know, anytime I believe that you could put water through a magnetic influence, be it natural occurring with rare earth magnets, 
or electromagnetic where you're using power to generate, you'll find that the water is going to behave differently. So I, I think uh, what we've experienced is um, there's a, a lot of similarity between these different technologies, but we've definitely noticed that on the, the natural uh, rare earth magnet, uh, magnetic field, if you will, that water behaves slightly more different, and there's more of a bounce, and there's more of a impact to the plant uh, than I would call the, um, you know, the um, synthetic made uh, or, or artificially made magnetic field. So we've noticed that, and there's been some tests that have come back from laboratories that actually have tested the two types and show that um, the more natural magnetic field will mobilize nutrients slightly better than the non-natural. You know, I played around with uh, that technology. I think I told you the last time I met and, and working with Magnus. A lot of people, you know, thought it was all poppycock and, and not true with, with that kind of technology. There were several companies trying to develop that in the market, you know, to make the water go faster into the ground and, and, and things of that. But I, I, I experimented with with magnets and um, ceramic crystals and and, mm. and I noticed that it it, uh, it changed the taste of water <laughs> uh, it actually changed some of the molecular structure of water and other other liquids and uh, and so I, I've seen some test results and you'll go into that later when, when you bring us up to date on, on what you found but uh, it's a technology that's been around for a while, a long, long time, but now it's coming into more of a, a prominent uh, a place to that. But what do you see some of the challenges in adoption to that? Because any time there's a new technology, it's kind of slow to, to, to get to market because people don't understand it. Well, yeah, I, you know, Rob, you've been around a, a long time, and you know how that goes, you know, trying to get um, – to shift the industry a little bit can be challenging. And, you know, one of the things you look at when you look at a new product is, you know, is this a dis disruptor or is this a, you know, continuous product but slightly changed or a discontinuous product? You know, are we going to have to go through a bunch of hurdles or just a couple, you know, to get people interested? But, you know, when, it, when you circle the wagons around water conservation uh, and, you, and, and we're all tied to this now in the West, you know, you guys are in yours and we're in ours up here in the Rockies that, you know, we've got to pay a little bit more attention to that. So, you know, it has been, unfortunately, a little slower than we would have expected, but we are still seeing very successful projects and games, adaption, um, more and more tests and trial sites are going in the cities. Um, you know, we've We've picked up some really big projects out here in Salt Lake, uh, in Denver. We've got school districts in Colorado. We've got big parks departments in Colorado. So they, they've jumped on this early, and they're, and they're reaping a little bit of the benefit uh, early. Uh, so it, it's kind of a shame and, and a little frustrating that this has been around for so long, but the irrigation industry as a whole, from large commercial all the way down to residential, it's been scaled to be successful and, and a, a, a very productive product uh, all the way down to the residential market. And we could be a lot further along in some of this, especially when we're seeing an average savings of 20, 25% uh, on any site. And that's 
it, that's going to the addition of a smart controller. So we already know you get a savings bump with the smart controllers, but now you add a water conditioning to the smart controller, now you have a whole different ballgame, and we're seeing an additional 20 30% savings on top of that. And that's what people have to start to like get their head around. They have to start to look for that. The, the discussion of water quality has been slightly touched on, but not enough. People don't understand that hard water affects the way it runs through a pipe. Hard water affects the way it comes out of your nozzle. Hard water affects the way it tries to go into the ground. Same thing if a well or if you've got a lake or stream or reuse water. You guys were talking about reuse water earlier. We can take that reuse water. We can address that. And the issues with reuse water where it became uh, built up in the soil and a lot of sodium and salts were were occurring um, with the magnetic treatment, uh, you change that uh, behavior and that essentially will not bind, those minerals will not bind, and you'll flush that calcium, you'll flush that sodium through, and then we've then started to address soil health. So the benefits of conditioning as a whole between efficiency and irrigation, uh, reduction in water use, savings of, of fertilizer and nutrients, power reduction, it's just astonishing what this can do and what people say when they actually see it happen. Interesting. What role do you expect uh, MIW will play in the future of irrigation? A big one. I, <laughs> um, I, I feel this, this, is a, this will continue to grow, and this time it's going to stick. Um, as I mentioned, it's been around, it was developed actually uh, from uh, overseas and then developed here. Uh, some of the um, uh, USA companies, a uh, professor out of uh, Cal Poly, uh, Pomona, back in the 60s and 70s, perfected uh, some of the technology. It, it's come a long way since then, but he got started back then. So we've, we've got companies that have been around for 30, 40 years. Um, the focus hasn't necessarily been on agronomics or horticulture, but to me, that's the low-hanging fruit with this technology. And once we understand it, you know, to, to increase production uh, with crops and such, with less water and less energy, and then to look at the water quality and be able to use some of the water quality that wasn't necessarily um, sustainable for for a plant growth or plant health. So now we have a whole new arena that we can work with if we, we look at conditioning water. Do you, think the, do you think that the, um, the drought they're in will accelerate the adoption rate? I, I think since there's so much conversation around efficiency and drought and, and the fact, you know, it's not really going to change, kind of the new normal, you know, I think that's one aspect. So more people are hearing about it. Uh, the meetings that I've had with the, my local water agencies and some cities that are adopting it, you know, they're, they're basically saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're being asked to look into this, this uh, technology and others, you know, but they like this one because it's, it's kind of a plug and done. As one of the guys in Denver Park had called it, 
uh, it's the invisible solution because you don't see it. There's no maintenance to the technology or very little actually. And you know, it's it's uh, one and done. Once you purchase one for a project, uh, you don't really have to ever buy another one or do anything with it. So um, I do believe because of the conversation, I hope for an industry as a whole, that we take a little bit more responsibility for the water that we use in irrigation and not just kind of blind, you know, blind flow it or, or schedule. I, you know, just myself here in the market, uh, you know, we, all of us see, you know, those sprinklers running when they shouldn't be and the busted heads that aren't being fixed and, and that type of thing. So we'd all, as, as professionals in our industry, would like to see, you know, a lot of that uh, addressed. Well, to bring us up, bring us up to date. Uh, you know, since our last visit, you, you've had a bunch of recent studies have been concluded, both new and interesting results. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you about that, if you can share that, um, do you see the devices, the OAWs, doing any uh, creation of more oxygenation into the water? Because I know there's some, there's some there's some water drinks on the market, you know, the uh, power water they call it. Where it's, it's it's highly oxygenated, more than normal H2O, um, would that tie into what the the results or or the technology of a magnetically uh, induced water systems? Well, we we think that there is. You know, oxygen is important to a lot of aspects of life, and and apparently even in detergent, right? You know, oxyclean and and all that because they're in, you know they've got the ability to inject some extra oxygen and we believe that because we can overcome the compaction that a lot of people see without any chemical that the ability for the water once it goes through the, the magnetic field and goes out into the irrigation um, part of the study from the university of idaho that we'll talk a little bit about briefly um, that mentioned that the water droplets and size were much larger so we're thinking there's an opportunity that we're picking up some free radical oxygen molecules that may be then hitting the ground and helping us open up and permeate, uh, because that was another thing that they they talked about in the study was uh, the permeation had uh, had been improved. So yeah, I do believe there's a playoff in oxygen when it comes to exposure to you know uh, air through irrigation, for sure. So. Um... Uh, if you can tell me the next answer to the question, because it might be proprietary. So have you worked with any irrigation companies uh, or uh, people in the landscape industries to, to, to get them to do more and more usage and to have them step up and, and really embrace this technology and then and then spread the word through media and, and, and any, anything else? Well, I think we're just to that point now where um, we're able to do that. We've been, we've been playing and trialing, playing with, working with and having trials done for the last five years. And then we, we stepped into these studies where we were having universities do the studies. COVID put us a little bit behind on getting those out. And now that we've got some of these done and we have enough to show, plus the trials, you know, the, the comments that are coming back from the golf courses, the comments that are coming back from the school districts, the comments that are coming back, uh, you know, from parks departments and, and such, are all extremely positive. I mean, we had a guy out of, out of Colorado that actually traveled with one of the distributors and did 
nothing but present what they had done at the school with the magnet. So, so when they went around and 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 did their their oh you know normal I guess sales calls, uh, this guy got up and actually spoke to each one of the groups. So he was out on his own promoting the technology with you know no real reason to do that other than how impressed he was with it. The ROI for the school district, by the way, uh, that installed about uh, six to eight of their high schools and then went on to do their middle schools, that investment uh, was paid for in one year of water and power savings. Wow. And Yeah. So, yes, very, very impressive numbers. Um, oh, yes, that's what he's going to add to say there. Well, How no, go ahead, Christine. Sorry, sorry. No, go, Rob. No, no, go ahead. That's what happens when we're, not, when we're not in all in the studio at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry about well. that. No, no, no apologies. Go ahead. I was just going to ask how important this technology is to the new soil health emphasis in that conversation and conservation. Well, yeah, that's a good question because um, soil health is, again, becoming something that's on more and more of everybody's radar, and they're looking at uh, you know, how do we make soil more fertile because of what we've done? Some of our practices in the past, especially in agriculture, you know, has, has not been great. It's, it's been, you know, somewhat decaying and, and killing off a, a lot of the ability for the soil to be fertile. And that's another problem we run into when, like, cities like Salt Lake have expanded. You know, we've expanded so much over the last 15 years, but we've expanded into farmland. And some of that farmland has been pretty much used up when it comes to nutrient value. So now we're building homes and apartments and whatever, and then we're trying to landscape, and then we're having really, you know, not, not great luck because we've got such crummy soil out there. So one of our tests that we just finished up is a six-year review on a dairy. And this dairy was really uh, losing uh, productivity not only of the animals, but from their silage. And they had some rolling hills and slopes, and they were getting some tremendous runoff. I mean, enough where they were creating ponds, large ponds at the bottom of their fields, and that the ducks, you know, were spending more time in their ponds than, than other places. So we were brought in to see what the technology would do with an independent soil scientist, and we set up a three-year study and then a six-year review and uh, we just concluded the sixth year, and it was extremely positive when it came to the ability of water, magnetic water conditioning to improve the ability of the well water, or let me back up, to, to, you know, to positively impact the negative of the well water by making the soil more available to be fertile, if that makes sense. In other words, all the mineral that was building up and creating the havoc and the runoff and the compaction, we pretty much moved away and and flushed and opened up the the uh, soil where the ponds are gone and the the silage is picked up in production. The cows are actually healthier as well, and that's another subject for another day. But um, yeah, so now we've created a much healthier soil uh, baseline so that any nutrient or fertilization process that they do is going to work better than it would had we not been able to get the soil to 
the level of where it's at now. So the ability for us to improve soil health uh, is quite important, I think, to, to the whole agronomy industry. Well, let me throw another question in here to you. So in, in the experiments that I've done over the last six years with uh, magnetics and, 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 the, and situations like you're doing, um, how, do you see a market, because I've seen some companies trying to enter into the residential market by putting these magnetically uh, induced water conditioners into the homes where they say it, it helps the water condition in, in the homes versus water softeners and all of that. Do you see that as something that you'll trans, not transition, but also enter that kind of market along with ag? Because ag, ag is a big market naturally, but I also see that uh, in-house residential could be huge as well. Yes, definitely. Matter of fact, we we just sent a spec off to a city of Salt Lake uh, for uh, them to incorporate in their study specifications uh, with the intention of starting to push out, you know, salt-based or potassium, uh, you know, softeners. So absolutely, the trick with these. Uh, with any magnet technology is you have to have enough magnetic strength. And, you know, with the testing that we've done and units we've had go out, we feel that we've got that dialed in. So really, we just need to know the region that you're in and then the product that would fit that region. And then you would be able to um, um, be successful uh, with the magnet and not have the salt or, or any of that. So, yes, definitely we can we can uh, play in that softening uh, arena. Well, it's pretty interesting. Christina, yeah. I'll ask a final question in here. Well, I kind of I kind of asked about this, but how can MIW how can MIW help with the continuing and foreseeable drought and water restrictions here in the West? Well, you know, um, it's really going to be up to the industry, and I, and, and I know there's a lot of players out there who are very conscious of water and water conservation and want to continue to do what they're doing. You know, they have adopted EP, uh, they've adopted smart controllers, weather-based controllers, um, you know, the, 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 the low um, application rotors and that type of thing. So a two-wire, you know, is a good, uh, I think, smart way to go. It's just you've got to take the next step now. You've got to take the next step into looking at the water quality and how it's affecting uh, your efficiency and, and, and you know, uh, compaction and then the way that the water uh, holds in the soil. So um, most definitely, if, if people who are conscious about and serious about conservation and want to get to the next level of major measure, measurable uh, water savings, then you have to look at the water quality. And this is one of the simplest ways and most productive and beneficial ways that I've seen in the 40 years that I've been doing this. Um, it, this, this is special. And, and, and it's, uh, it brings uh, a real value, uh, especially when you essentially it's a one and done product, a small product that, that people don't even know they have that's in the system. But if people embrace it and you can bank 20 or 25% on every single one of your jobs, there's going to be a measurable amount of water saved in a community. 
I would think California is full of opportunities for that for sure. So, oh yeah, how, we're well aware. <laughs> yeah. No, so how how can people find out more about the products that you have in this technology? Where can they call you, write you, go to a website, something? Well, we we've got a couple websites. So the the Maxim H two O, which is the the big commercial unit, is the www.maximumh2o.com. And then uh, our website for Overland Distributing is um, www.odc-solutions.com. And I have more active uh, day in and day out uh, stuff on, on our site that shows our project, shows before and after. It's got some test uh, studies uh, listed under the library. Um, and we can be contacted through the websites as well. So we've got that posted and a lot of pictures and information on, on um, you know, what we're doing and how we're doing it. The problem we run into is we turn everybody's grass to green. It's like, how many pictures of green grass do I need on my website? <laughs> well, green grass, really, yeah. well, green, you can't be, you can't have green unless you have blue. So we appreciate that. So, Ed, thank you very much for coming back on the show and, and giving us an update on the technology. I think it's very fascinating. I think it, 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 it's a future, it's a product that should be blowing the world out really soon. And uh, good luck on all of that. Again, thanks for coming on to the show, and uh, we'll be talking to you. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it, Rob and Christina. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we're coming up to our uh, NBC News Hour, so we're going to have to turn it over to them, the big boys. And uh, Christine and I do appreciate you listening in today and uh, hope you enjoy everything. And the one thing that uh, Chris Davey and I always say at the end of the show and most important for you to do is help keep our planet blue. Good night, everybody. Good night. KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. Testifying before the January 6th House Committee today, retired Judge Michael Luddig provided a stark warning. Donald Trump.